Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. Before we begin today's mission, I want to introduce our fine crew. With us, of course, is Captain Squee. Hello. And Ambassador Nicola. Hello. And the Admiral Elliot Byers. Hello. I'm Commodore James T. King, but please call me Jim. And today we're taking a bit of a leap into the future and we're going to be looking for the first time at the Next Generation films. And I believe at least two of our crew members have fairly strong opinions on the first one. So without any further ado, the year is 2293 and also 2371. Kirk is cooking, Picard is grieving, and Troy is driving. It's Star Trek Generations. And I don't want to open by saying this is what happens when you get woman driver at the Enterprise. But I'm just, I'm, the, the film said that, not me. Really? I, I think I queued you up for that joke, and Pretty it has been said before. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, I will go for the low-hanging low fruit. I don't care. <laughs> I, I want to say that I actually enjoy watching this movie before I say anything else about it. Because <laughs> I have a lot of problems with this movie. As I've said numerous times, this is the lazy film. Well, uh, I think uh, Elliot's going to be uh, for the prosecution. I'm going to be on the defence, even though we all love think, it. You know, so I think, I think that's gonna... the way it's going to play out, and that was what I expected. So I think we'll let you two have at it for now. Well, I, no, I was going to suggest uh... the opposite. I was going to suggest if you and Nicola uh, going first, and then because I feel like when we get going, me and Elliot might just be at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll I'll go first then. This, I'll, I do have a soft spot for this one. I always will do because this was the first one that I saw at the cinema, um, which may sound a little bit odd. You'd think I'd have gone to the other ones, but this was kind of the first one that came out after I was sort of a, a diehard Trekkie, if you like. So I remember it came out on a Friday because films used to then before they started having these extended opening weekends that start on a Tuesday. Um, and... I was going down to London the next day uh, to see my dad. So he was living down there at the time and he'd booked tickets for like uh, the Leicester Square Odeon and all this. But I was that desperate to see it. I made my mum take me to see it the day before back in Leeds and then I had to pretend to my dad that I'd not seen it when I got down to London the next day. So I ended up seeing this film twice at the cinema within two days. Oh, I mean, it might be just the southerner in me, but when you say me, ma'am, it just makes it sound so much more quaint when you tell the story. Well, I was imagining the music from the Hovis advert playing <laughs> in the background when I was um, telling you that little story. So. And then when I we got to London with their fans... that play that on the street corners up here. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. It's a fact. And they bring you a cup of tea. So and then when regret... they got to London with my dad's fancy London ways... No, sorry, Nicola. <laughs> Did you regret seeing it twice? No, I think I ended up seeing it four times at the oh, cinema, wow. which was a bit overkill, I'll admit. Um, but yes, yeah, I think after I got back, my friends wanted to see it, so I ended up going with them. And then I think I just went on my own once to watch it because I was, it was still on, and we used to have this cinema, uh, the ABC in Leeds, and sort of the afternoon screenings used to be about two quid, which was pretty good value at the time so i think i was at a loose end well i'm gonna go see star trek again on my own and i did <laughs> nice so uh elliot do, do you want to start the assassination 
Yeah, I will start with the opening credits. <laughs> oh, right. We're, we're not pulling any punches here. <laughs> no, Jeez, we really are going in. The opening credits with the champagne bottle. It's I a, like that. It is. It's a beautiful scene. But why does liquid splash out of the champagne bottle when it hits the ship in space? <laughs> it should just... This could have done a lovely ice splatter and actually made it like it was in space. And some I'm people work with because they're in dry dock and there's an artificial atmosphere. No, because we've seen um, our friend, haven't we, out there who has to wear his spacesuit in dry dock? Yeah. Do you reckon it was Frank who threw the bottle? It could <laughs> have been Frank who threw the yeah. bottle. Yeah. But we have seen him in space dock that they have to have spacesuits on. Well, there's two things here. One is that, uh, you know, some people were worried we might get a bit too in being four Star Trek fans, but I'm glad we haven't gone into the minutiae. But uh, secondly, <laughs> my my uh, very weak fanboy plot flange for this is when the uh, champagne starts, it is going through space. It then goes into an artificial atmosphere and then it's contained by a tractor beam which pulls it in towards the ship, thusly managing to make it splash. The tractor beam just goes off just in time for a nice splash effect of the liquid. Wow. Done. Okay. <laughs> I think that's obvious, uh, isn't it? I, I think it would be nicer actually for the ice crystals. I think they missed a the trick there. Yeah. <laughs> Judging by the quality of the CGI of the bottle, I think they may have struggled with ice crystals. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is. I think now what we're seeing very much is where it used to be. uh, So like the one which they say about Dog 2 a lot is wobbly sets. And you've got these kind of like uh, cheap add-on effects and stuff. I think the one which ages worse for when we were of the age when these films were coming out is the CGI from the 90s and early 2000s just hasn't dated well. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't nearly ready for what they were asking it to do. But having said that, there's some lovely shots of like the Enterprise B in the Nexus. There's some very nice shots yeah. there. We're still using models at this time. I think some of it was you CGI, though, I did read. Cause, um, but I'll take your point about the models because I read recently that the... The Enterprise B is a modified Excelsior, so it's got them extra bits that stick out on the main body. And the reason they put them on was because they could destroy them without ruining the model of the Excelsior, which they wanted to use again in next-gen episodes, or, sorry, DS9 episodes it'll be at this time. So they stuck an extra bit on just to scrape it off again, which is fairly clever. The annoying thing is what Paul Lights did, who made the model, they also altered their model moulds to do an Enterprise B, so they couldn't make any more Excelsior models, which was quite bizarre of them to do. So they have actually redone Excelsior model molds, but they've had to do them a lot later on. Went for about 20 years without an Excelsior model. Say, I had an Excelsior model, but I think that probably was about 20 years ago, so um, fair enough. I mean, my favourite of the model facts was when they were doing the original series, and because Bandai got the rights to do it, they'd also make the Enterprise models for the actual TV show. And when they had uh, a problem with any of the things, they'd just go to the local Airfix store and just buy a new one. So they'd literally go to... That's how good quality the models you could get back then were they were yeah. literally the exact same ones that you'd have on the screen yeah they use bits of them for props as well like there's an episode of ds9 where um 
Bashir's scanning something with a little device, and it's actually one of the nacelles off the Romulan Warbird AMT <laughs> model kit. <laughs> But enough of this model stuff. Look, I, I I love the model talk, but let's let's get into the plot, the the meat of the the beast. It is okay. like I, I think it is generally though a nice looking film. I think most of the effects stand up pretty well. Just the CGI in a few places a bit ropey. Yeah, one that'll come to later on. One of my problems with one of the effects, but we'll get to that later. One of my big problems with this movie is the inclusion of Scotty. Oh, shut it's your just, mouth. I love Scotty. This better be a I damn love, good reason. I absolutely love Scotty. But this movie is set in 2293, and Scotty sees Kirk die. We have the Next Generation episode, Relics, which is set in 2369. That states Scotty has crashed in the Janolan in 2294, a year after, but he thinks Kirk's alive and has come to rescue him. Okay, two, two things here. One, that's pretty in the weeds. Two, I, I don't care. Anything that makes relics and this film work, I'm good with. And three, uh, he's just been woken up from a transporter beam which killed the other person who was in it. He, he, you don't think he could have lost a bit of memory for a minute about, you know, what happened then and what year it is and all that? He could be disorientated. That's the only actual explanation that's ever been given that he had a bit of tra- transporter amnesia. Transport when he first came yeah. out. But Ronald D. Moore, who actually wrote um, Relics and also co-wrote Generations, is on their record as admitting that he knew it was breaking canon. He just wanted to have Scotch in Generations. Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought he was really good in it. I, I, I mean, I think it's I... worth any kind of plot flanging to get him in that movie because he... he is just so entertaining. He gets, like, the funny lines. He gets to be what Scotty was at his best. Like, I know, you know, to begin with, in the TV show, I don't think it was such a comedy foil, but they built that up in the films to a really nice effect. And I, I love it when he's ribbing Kirk, when Kirk's obviously very restless and you've got this kind of serious shot of Kirk just adjusting in the seat, wanting to help out the action on the Enterprise B. And Scotty just turns to him going, something wrong with your chair, Captain. <laughs> and then another bit, he's going, you know, stuff like, finding retirement a wee bit restless. Scotty, I'm glad you're an engineer because you'd make a lousy psychiatrist. <laughs> and it's just beautiful bits. It does have yeah. some nice lines. And it, Scotty plays a nice part in it. It's just awful for canon. Oh, I'd, yeah. I, I'd say that can. I think you can flange it. Again, all you have to say is that because the other guy, again, one of the guys died who was in the same transport beam. For anyone who's not familiar with relics, then, uh, yeah, basically you've got Scotty manages to survive on this crash ship by putting himself in a transporter beam with another guy. The other guy signal degrades and gets killed, and only Scotty's left. I'd say the idea that Scotty, for a few minutes, might have lost track of exactly what's happening, I think is totally good. I can okay, live with that. I can go with that. I can live with and that. Another possible explanation, though, is, and there's conflicting reports on this, so I don't know what the actual truth is, but I, I have read that originally the intent was that it was going to be Kirk, Spock and Bones on the Enterprise yes. B at the start, but Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly didn't want to do it. It's and book. one of the things that Leonard Nimoy said was, there's a character called Spock in this script that I don't recognise the words coming out of his mouth. And then they just replaced Spock's role with Scotty, and he said, well, you've kind of proved my point by just giving my lines to someone else. Yeah, I mean, and and if those lines were originally meant to be 
Spock's then I think it works better as Scotty. Like it is a kind of comedic little. Form. It does. And yeah. uh, I mean, I, I I've got the see... book, so I do remember that the, in the book it is Spock's in there and as his bones. Yeah, and I can see the other side of it because, like, when Chekhov has that bit where he says "you, you, you," you've just become nurses. I could see that being a bones line. Yeah, that never really tracked for me. Like, because yeah, he's not a doctor, so it's, yeah, that that always seemed a bit out of place. So that does yeah. make sense. But it's a very nice scene for the Enterprise B scene, and I like that Demora Sulu's there, and um, you do get. I think maybe Captain Harriman they make him a bit too lame. Like, you know, I know the idea is that he's this comic foil, but it's like, really, you put in this guy in charge of the new <laughs> flagship of the Federation? I don't really see that. The guy from Ferris Bueller, really? It's it's kind of a bit awkward because I do totally get what you're saying. But at the same time, there is this kind of lovely idea that everything's meant to be fitted on Tuesday. So it's like, yes. oh, have you got yeah. shields? They were meant to be fitted Tuesday. Like, we were just meant to be going out to show off the ship. We weren't actually meant to be doing anything yet. So it kind of takes a bit of the sin off it. I still think you're right, though, that it's, yeah, he, he, he needs to look more like a captain, even under those circumstances. And you would have picked someone a bit more, like you said, more impressive if you're going to put him in front of the uh, great flagship. Yeah. Yeah. Again, to impress him. Again, though, I think this is one of these cases where people have no doubt written novels about how great Captain Harriman is. I'm sure there must be some books out there, but um, I can't say I've read any of them anyway. Well, there's there is one one of the um, fan productions where uh, he appears and he talks about becoming best friends with. Oh God, there's I think he became best friends with uh, um, Chekhov in it or something you know so they do refer to it and you know he grew his confidence and uh yeah but he's already captain he should be confident there's parts of that bit though that you think like you say with the confidence it's almost like i don't know someone that snuck aboard the ship put (laughs) put a captain's outfit on and went oh i'll have a go at this Yeah, and he's, he's yeah. very quick to be like, Captain Kirk, we'd appreciate any help you can give us. Yeah. And by uh, the way, don't look in the cupboard. That's where the real captain is. Yeah. Oh, no, I've said too much. <laughs> it's been a while since I've flown a ship. Yeah. And if you're wondering where Dennis the Donuts boy is, it's not me, honest. Uh, I don't know why I even <laughs> said that. I liked, um, there's a story that uh, Walter Keenig tells where he says that he insisted on telling the extras that they had to address him as captain because he wanted it to be audible on screen that Chekhov was finally a captain. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a little bit charming, but also a little bit sad. It is, it is. And I I do love the way that you you mentioned Sulu, uh, Sulu's little girl there. I, I like the way that they've done it so that... It, it it is made into the plot almost that that uh, oh I didn't know Sulu had a daughter. It's like well you know it's like you said we make time for these things. Oh no, not that you didn't know, but you know yeah. how did she get yeah. to be that old? You make time for these things. I I just thought it was really nicely done and it kind of added to the poignancy of it. I I love this whole setup at the beginning. Elliot, do your problems? Well, obviously your problems start with a bottle. We we found out, but do your problems <laughs> con- continue you, with this scene or does it start are you later? I think you're right what you say about the captain of the B is too weak. I I I like the scene. I think it's I think it's it's played well. Scotty plays it well. It it's really good how it's done. It just annoys me how it breaks the canon with relics. 
Nah, and he can, but I can go with your explanation that he had transport to amnesia after being stuck for 75 years. <laughs> yeah. So what about when we jump to the next gen era then? How do we feel that works like? It was very short turnaround between Next Gen the series finishing and this film coming out. Oh, it uh, was it was very quick. It was same year, wasn't it? Well, they had a trailer well, this... for it at the in the uh, they did a, um, a end of a journey or end of a generation or whatever they call it. Jenny's end, I think they call it at the end of uh, the last episode. All good things, last episode of Next Generation. In that, they had a little featurette about. Um, about the film, so they already start production when they were yeah. sort of finishing off the TV show. And I know the writers were writing all good things, the next gen finale, and this at the same time. So it was the same writing duo, things that uh, Ronald D. Moore and Brannon Braga, and they were literally doing both things at once. So it was a very short turnaround, and this is perhaps. One of the issues I have with this is the first bit on the Enterprise B feels like a continuation of the original series films. It feels very filmic. And the next gen bits still do feel a bit like a TV show to me. Maybe maybe it's because we've got the old sets, albeit with bizarre lighting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't start me on the lighting. I mean, the, for me, I do like the way they set it up. At the end of the... Uh, the old generation, the, the original series generation. I like the way they set it up with, uh, they've got the uh, Nexus, obviously we see for the first time, we set up Guinan's people and uh, with uh, Sorn. I, th I think that's really great and that's a really nice connective tissues. But yeah, when you do go into the next gen, it's really weird. That, that stuff on the sea looks really nice in the holodeck. Uh, and I still argue, by the way, that Data pushing her, Crusher in is funny. Uh, I think yeah. they're too harsh on him there. They're like, yeah. that wasn't funny. Yeah, it's like, it by the was. way, it's, it's funny when someone else does it, but when you do it, Data, we're going to harsh your mellow. No, you know what it is? It, it, it's just struck me now. It's a bit, it's funny if we do it to a Klingon. It's but racist. Not it's to weird. a human. Yeah. Did they know nothing from the Kitama Records? Sorry, Nicola. No, Absolutely. Sorry. I was going to say, and it actually was um, Beverly Crusher that said, lighten up, do something spontaneous. And have a laugh. And he did. Yeah. And then she shouldn't complain because she actually said it. Exactly. It's almost like women don't know what they want. These films are sexist, Nicola. <laughs> I'm, I'm finding this out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. Yeah, yeah. They've got women crashing the Enterprise the second they take their helm and them having no sense of humour when they, they're involved in the joke. <laughs> You know, that's it. <laughs> and Guinan's wearing a mortarboard as always. Anyway, that's another story. No, does she in this film? She doesn't actually, does she? Uh, no, I think she's actually showing off her hair in this yeah, one. Yeah, she is. Sorry, so, so scratch that. But yeah, you were saying about the lighting. Sorry, I did want to touch on that. Because it, huh, like, I get it. I get that that was a very TV set. That was a very kind of dated set by the time you get to Generations. Yeah. But still, that dodgy lighting job. I mean, just just say they refitted some of the halls. Maybe just jazz them up a bit, change a few bits. You know, maybe maybe add some strip lighting to get well, the lighting. They did add um, still a cartography. That yeah. was a new set. Yeah, well, we'll, See, we'll get I to that. Thought... But I just want to speak of the existing sets where it looks like Picard just forgot to put fifty p in the meter. 
I think it's probably energy-saving light bulbs come back in a big way in the 24th century. Yeah, but they've got LEDs. It's fine. Uh, speaking of stellar cartography, though, I did have a thought on this because we see it in that episode, uh, Lessons, I think it is, where Picard has a romance with the, the stellar cartographer and then he has to get her assigned to a different ship because he can't cope with putting her in danger and blah, blah, blah. And I think this was a play to get her back on the ship. He's like, I'm going to upgrade stellar cartography. It is going to be the most spectacular room on the Enterprise from now on. Well, I'm going to talk about uh, Picard's fan- uh, fantasies in a bit. <laughs> we will get to that. <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking, what are you thinking, though, uh, James, that it's kind of a case of, look, look, this stellar cartography room is so good. You never need to leave the ship. Just stay yeah. on here where it's nice and safe. <laughs> then I won't have any issues about that. I mean, it's a bit creepy. I have a to room to put you in and keep yeah. you in. Yeah. <laughs> Why is the door so heavily locked? Oh, I, I, there's so many things I could say here, but I'm not going to because it goes down a very dark path. So let's just, just <laughs> abandon that one now. And what, what really does, doesn't make sense to me is they've got a wonderful stellar cartography room, which we've never seen before. And then when they do have the Enterprise E later, it's just like an ordinary room with a little bit of a view screen. It's just, it, it doesn't, why wouldn't they then have that again? That That's a bit weird to me. Yeah, they could have used the same set in the Enterprise E. They could have done, really, yeah. Because that's the one uh, set which stands up because it was new, as you guys say. Just thinking about it now, actually, that set looks kind of like Cerebro from X-Men. There's a bit of a Patrick Stewart thing going on there. I'd it's got a little walkway in a big circular room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's enough set talk. But yeah, so the plot continues. <laughs> We've got, uh, by the way, Sawn, played by... um Malcolm McDowell. What is it, Michael? But Malcolm, sorry. Michael was his brother. Ah. Malcolm McDowell, um, standing in for his brother Michael, who's busy on another film. I, I <laughs> think he, I think he's wonderful in this film. The way he managed to play the evil, but also he plays the whole thing of it's like what would happen if Guinan was evil. It, it's very nicely in keeping yeah, with her really race good. of like using that listening skill to manipulate Picard. Oh, oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, well, we'll talk about him, then I want to double back on Picard in a minute. He's really good. Like He's got an incredible sort of intensity to the performance and perhaps more than that role deserves, really, but he really does give it his all and he's very, very driven. His motivations make sense. You can kind of sympathise with him. Um, yeah. yeah, I think he's one of the most effective villains they've had in the films. Uh, certainly better than some of the later next gen villains we get, but we'll we'll get there in a few weeks' time. Well, I mean, even with Lesser and Bator, I mean, as much as I love them from the show, I, I think they were a bit weak source in this. I mean, I really like Sorn, and I think whenever you cut to them, it's just sort of like it, it's kind of like they're thrown in as in, ah, remember those from the next gen? Ah, you, you remember these two? You like them in the next generation? Here you have, have them here. So that's another thing that made it feel very sort of like just an extension of the TV show. It's like, here's the recurring villains from the TV show. They're back. If you're not a long-term fan, you're thinking, who on earth are these Klingon women and why are they seemingly given so much importance in the film? It's a, I imagine it's strange for non-fans. Yeah, that's one. They don't really set them up. And it, it is, yeah, like you say, it's kind of like they're building on the whole idea of like, well, you already know who they are, but, yeah, you want this to, to be accessible to new people watching. 
Yeah, you yeah. need you need to, when you've gone to movies, you need to be bringing in new people. Not is it is there for your existing fan base from TV, but you want new people to go see it at the movies. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, but but I did want to get onto Picard because. I think this is such a wonderful film for Picard. I love his whole journey. The bit where he gets the communique and suddenly starts acting like an ass towards everyone. I love it. I just, I, I love the yeah, powerfulness. Very and sad. Yeah, no, that, that's the point. And then when he's in his ready room and you've got uh, Troy steps in, as underserved as I think the women are in all the next-gen films, like any joke inside, I think they do end up getting the short end of the stick yeah very much so but yeah that scene for her is really wonderful as well like the she you know i really get the feeling you would open up to her the way she is and how kind she is she doesn't push him but she listens like as and she actually does some counseling which she didn't say, i was gonna say in the show. As, <laughs> a, as, as some, a counselor yeah. some way. well as someone who's i'm actually a trained counselor so i did actually what she was doing there for the one the few times to be effective counselling and you know I, I don't think she'd get struck off for this one <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's also but just yeah again just because when he talks about um, Renee dying it's just so powerful like that this is a great showcase for what a wonderful actor he is and later on in the film as well which is what why I do find it such a shame the one bit which is the letdown for me is all the stuff in the Nexus pretty much with the really I've got to get to that rubbish <laughs> Um, well, we may as well get to it now because we're already 28 yeah, minutes let's... in. Well, so, I, am... I mean, if, if I just very quickly and then I'll hand over to you earlier. But I was just going to say, it's like, it's it's the kids with the awful uh, English accents and the, yeah. like, you know, they couldn't find a couple of English kids. I, I It's the, um, just the tweeness of it. The whole paucity of the ambition, like all the Picard wants his family. And that's, you know, it just, it's, it's just done well, too quickly and it isn't, you can't really... You, earn anything with it and it's it's well, too long is that scene i timed well, it it's seven what minutes we, what we're led to believe is that the nexus gives you your, your deepest desires yeah yeah and the actress who plays his wife all she's credited with being called is picard's wife <laughs> she's, she's played by an actress called kim braddon and if we find it she's actually appears in the next generation previously in the loss Right. And she's Ensign Janet, Janet Brooks. So we have to assume that <laughs> the Nexus gives you your deepest desires that <laughs> this is actually Ensign Janet Brooks that Picard is imagining because <laughs> it has to be someone from his own psyche. And yeah, so this have thing for Ensign Brooks. Janet Brooks, his husband in the loss, had been killed in an um, unexplained accident serving under Captain Picard <laughs> five months previously. We also know that Picard has a thing for um, Beverly Crusher, who's also a redhead, whose husband also died under uh, Picard's uh, command. Ooh, so I think we have to look here. Picard has a type. He likes redheads whose husbands he's uh, killed in some way. <laughs> well, he didn't kill them. Killing. Yeah, I was going to say, they died under his watch, but he didn't kill them. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> and he just wants well, them to that's be known what the as Picard's say. wife. But maybe they've he's... been under his command when they've died. He's that he's responsible in some way for their lives. Well, as a counselor, maybe like uh, you know, I'm, I'm speaking as a counselor. Maybe uh, he is somewhat of a rescuer. He feels the need to rescue these women, and that kind of gives him a feeling. I of... think he's a. I think he's a predator on redhead widows. <laughs> All right, jeez. Okay, I was trying to think of the sweet end of it. <laughs> 
no, so, but I, I just, uh, I, it's such a shame because it's almost like you're right. I think the seven minutes drags, but it's almost like it either has to be a lot longer or a lot shorter. Uh, you yeah. either have to sort of get rid of it or give yourself enough time to really explore who he is in the Nexus life. You know, give him a bit of a life in there for him to lose. Like, uh, yeah. What's like to be fair in that Nexus thing? As his wife, they should have put Beverly Crusher in there. Because yes. we'd had several episodes in the last season where how romantically they were actually attracted to each other was explored and revealed. So they could have had... Yeah, he has that fantasy. We have it in non-canon, because it's in books, that they have been married, etc. So why not have that in the, in there instead of bringing in another redhead head whose husband he killed... The problem is, just then, making it really creepy. the problem is, if you do that, you've got to unpack it. So if you bring in that element, you've got to explore it more. It then becomes a thing within the films where if you don't then uh, play that out a bit more, then if it's just left there, then people would also feel unsatisfied. I know what you're saying, but I just I don't think you can have that a little bit. That's got to be a unrunning plot then in the films, which would be fine. But then you're kind of tying into that. I think, again, this is something, another sign of the TV heritage of of Next Generation in that this would work as, like, one act of a 45-minute of a episode. You could do a sequence in the Nexus and, like you say, have a bit of time to let it breathe and everything before you reveal that it's not real and everything. But in the middle of a two-hour action film where we've just had this huge sequence of the Enterprise crashing and it all coming to a head... The film just stops for nearly 20 minutes when we're in the Nexus and it's it ruins the flow of the film for me. Having said that, you, you say I, it's 20 minutes. I would like to defend the Kirk and uh, Picard yes. scene. Yeah, I enjoyed the Kirk-Picard interaction. That was I like I it Kirk... right, right up until they get into the kitchen and everything's building and there's some nice music going on and the music reaches like a crescendo and then Kirk goes, Dill. What? <laughs> and he starts cooking eggs and it just stops flat again for another minute and you're like what? I'm good, I'm good with him cooking eggs that's a bit of a comedy to the you've got this such mm. serious intense moment Picard is there he knows what he's got to do and Kirk's just like oh no sod this I'm Kirk's actually going to enjoy myself Kirk's still living his fantasy yeah and he actually yeah. he does feel shortchanged and uh I mean, yeah, you you were saying the the one thing which uh, uh, mystified me, which uh, James, you fill me in on, and maybe you can do that for the listeners. But there's this kind of weird thing whereby uh, Antonio, the girl who is the woman who he's meant to yeah. be with, there, there seems to be no logical time where he would have had that relationship because he says before he rejoined Starfleet, which is surely at the beginning of the first film. But, yes, but you explained this. According to Captain Kirk's official autobiography, which he wrote himself, of course, uh, and this is Captain Kirk, not William Shatner, apparently the timeline is, after the motion picture, there's a throwaway reference in that film to Admiral Nagora, and apparently Kirk had awful run-ins with this guy and eventually retired from Starfleet, only to come back before the Wrath of Khan. As we said on the other episode, there's this apparently huge gap between motion picture and wrath of Khan, and apparently that is where all of this took place 
which is bananas. Like, there isn't enough time. It's it's, just, it, it's clearly, but... you know, they would have aged much more, or they'd have to be younger during the motion picture. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, but that's what they're going with until it's contradicted on screen, so we'll but, leave it there. But that aside, I mean, I, I, I do just love this scene. There's something about, again, you can totally get the motiv- motivations of why Kirk doesn't want to face... Like, he, he doesn't want to wake up. He is finally getting some reward. He felt restless aboard the ship, but he's been re- restless inside his heart, man. He's never been able to kind of live this <laughs> life, and he's he's seduced by it. And then he goes to jump the gap on this horse, and it's just, oh, yeah, but it's not real. And that's so It wasn't poignant. scared. It's so yeah, beautiful, though. Did it. No, it's very, it is very good. I do love most of that scene, and I wonder about, like, maybe how Patrick Stewart and William Shatner got along. Like, I like to imagine that Patrick Stewart being the serious actor, you know, I can imagine him going, you're just a ham, Shatner. No, I mean, apparently, like, by all accounts, they got on really well, and they still do, you know. Mm. I've, I've never seen anything yeah. to the contrary to that. And Tell given... me. Tell me, Bill, how did you approach Hamlet? Oh, no, I forgot. You've never played Hamlet because you're a ham. <laughs> More ham <laughs> than only... Hamlet, if you will. They were kind You've of ham... only ever played Kirk and <laughs> Hooker. <laughs> but they were handing over No, the I'm sure they're good friends. They were handing over the baton, though, wasn't it? That's. Uh, it was. It, I mean, it is great. Yeah. And you get the least I could do for a captain of the Enterprise, and you know it. It is lovely. It's very, very good, and it's it's almost worth the Picard Christmas scene to get there. And by the way, <laughs> I know this will now come out after Christmas. We, like, if if we hadn't had the problems with uh, the upload of the first episode. This would be coming out Christmas week. So I just want to say a belated, this is our belated Christmas episode because of that one scene within the Nexus. So happy Christmas and Merry New Year to everyone, even though it's yeah, probably Merry like... Merry Christmas, everybody. Christmas. It's like we time these things. Badly. Yeah, to be one week late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyone got any last thoughts on Generations then? Because we're yeah. going to have to move on to First right. Contact. I just, want, I just have one more one more thing. And it's um, all to do with the destruction of the Enterprise and the Klingon Bird of Prey. Okay. The destruction of the Enterprise yeah. doesn't do anything to drive the plot forward whatsoever. No, it just means they can have a, a, a nice they wanted a new model the for the, They wanted yeah. a new model. And they can build new sets that don't require ridiculous lighting. But yeah. yes, it, well, it's so, functional. It did nothing for the plot, unlike what we saw previously in the search for Spock, and it was emotional when we saw the Enterprise blown up. That bothered yeah, me. It's, it's the other part of that scene that really, really annoys me is when we see them blow up the Klingon bird of prey. And the, I feel like know, I've seen the that exact before. same frame for frame sequence as what we'd seen in the previous money movie. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think the crashing of the ship, I would just say it gives everyone else something to do. If you cut that, everyone else is just sitting in space while Picard and uh, Kirk are going off in the Nexus. Yeah, that's fair. So, Nicola, anything? Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't a massive fan of this film, but I loved the idea that Captain Kirk was handing over the baton to Picard. Um, I liked the idea of that, but I just wasn't, I wasn't overly enthralled on this one. Yeah, I think they could have tried harder, and I think we're about to discuss a film where they did. Oh, amazing. Uh, The year then is 2373. Picard is raging, history is changing, and the away team is drinking. Star Trek First Contact. Mm. 
Do we all prefer this one then? Oh, amazing film. I mean, I, I do still have a soft spot for next, for Generations just because it's the two captains meeting. That's always going to have a soft spot in my heart. But yeah, pound for pound, this is just a better movie overall. Yeah. It, it is a movie which uh, friends of mine who weren't Trekkies went to see and they enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that says this a is a standout Trek movie. The Borg will Definitely. always bring well, the, the, the Borg, the Borg, the Borg, or anything. The Borg should have been the Klingons of the next-gen films. That's where I think they should have at least had one other Borg film. Uh, because, yeah, well, we'll get to it in future, but like the other two films, I think, suffered from weak villains. Yeah. yeah. Like I mean, first contact, they found the footing, they knew where they were, they had the new ship, and I think the Enterprise is a beautiful, beautiful ship. It is. It is, but I don't like the bridge setup. I just don't like those individual desks look a bit... Yeah, I don't. I, I don't feel like Loses maybe it's because I'm so used to the next gen bridge, but I'm like, this isn't my bridge. What's going on? Well, it loses the warmth of them feeling like they're working together. There's something about the way they're they're little pedestals they're at, and it just yeah. seems everyone's siloed. I don't like the feel of that. Not feng shui. <laughs> no, I agree with you on that. That, and I agree with Elliot as well that the the design of the exterior of the ship is yeah. amazing and. It's showcased in that great spacewalk sequence, which is one of the standout sequences in all of the films, I think. It's nice. It's nice. Yeah. I mean, I I, 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 I just love the start of the film as well. Uh, the only thing which does... Now, this is the one where I get uh, bent out of shape about continuity. I do like this film, and I kind of have to ignore something to like it, which is the fact that uh, Descent happened. In Descent, that's a, a two-parter. You've got two hours of uh, Picard facing the Borg and not having this problem, this great uh, quest for vengeance that you suddenly got mm. in this film. If they hadn't had that, then this makes a lot more sense. But suddenly... But they were renegade Borg. They were outside of the collective yeah, and but, led yeah. by law. But in this film... He doesn't care whether they're renegades. He doesn't care if no, they've just doesn't. been his uh, people just a minute before. He just wants vengeance on the Borg. Yeah. Uh, he is not seeing in these uh, different shades of grey. And uh, so, I don't know. I, mean, I, I really admire, because I do it myself a lot, I really admire your dancing to try and keep it continuity working, but it just doesn't. I, I can... A bit like the Scotty thing with you, I, I can let this one slide. To, oh, I can, yeah. To fit in, I can, but it just it, it nags at me that. Yeah, in terms of filmmaking, though, this one, whereas I said Generations kind of felt like an extension of the TV show, this one feels like a film. Oh yeah, hmm. it's good. It's got its fun parts, its stark parts. It's got action. Yeah, I mean, like real raw yeah. action rather than yeah. Right from the beginning, you've got like that wonderful scene where Picard has flashbacks to, you know, like real war style flashbacks to being taken over by the Borg. That uh, Borg thing going into his eye. I mean, that's just such a. Like against the eye for a second before it cuts away. That's brilliant. And and actually, we were talking about the ship. I do rather love his ready room with the kind of nice uh, upholstered kind of chair. Anyway, that's another story. I just like like the look of his ready room. Uh, I want that office. (laughs) <laughs> but I do just really like the just the cinematic that straight away gets you in that cinematic feel, and then you get wonderful exteriors of the ship, like you guys were saying, to yeah. to really give you a feeling of the Enterprise. 
and uh you know they set the scene very nicely that well we've been out in space for a year we've had our shakedown the ship's fine it's the fact that uh starfleet doesn't have confidence in picard doesn't trust the captain with the bog exactly and it's so very neatly sets all that up in a few lines of dialogue it's so uh economical in that way yeah it's very fast-paced the beginning we get them defying the orders and flying back and we get a huge battle which I could have I could have lived with that battle being a little bit longer. It's great yeah. while it's there, but it's very brief. Yeah, but, as we yeah. said in the first episode, um, Star Trek isn't about space battles, but when they do space battles, they do them bloody well. Yeah. And this is probably one of the best ones. I mean, it is possibly one the best one they've yeah. committed to to the screen. Like in in terms of effects, as well as scale of the attack. The way it's shot's beautiful, and you get the defiant in there, which is just lovely. I and I know what you're saying, James, but the problem is, you would lose pace if you made it any longer. Like it has to be the length you of it, but you want it to be and longer. The, the thing is, the a space battle with the bog is not the story we're telling in this film. Exactly, we need yeah. to do that, but it's there to get us to the main thrust of the story, and it it's one of them where I'd just like to see it because it'd look awesome, but. I completely get why it is fairly brief. And as you said, with the Defiant, I like that. I like the way Full running uh, it speed. justifies Worf's presence, yeah. which is something... Yeah, it was justifiable in this one. Yes, it's we'll talk about that one. when we get to the later film. Yeah, yeah, we, <laughs> can't di- we can't digress at all in the next 15 minutes we've got left. No. Right. Um, what about the... Um, is it Lily Picard's sort of companion in this film? And played by Alfred Woodward, uh, Woodard, sorry. And I like the dynamic between the two characters. I like that she gets to be the character who Picard has to introduce to this world and talk to her. And so we get we get a good way of providing exposition by Picard telling this character who doesn't isn't familiar with this world. Um, you know, he can get to explain all that to her. I like all of that. What I'm not so sure about is that she's the one at the end that goes and gives Picard a speech and gets him to sort his act out. I always feel that that should have been Beverly or Guinan who were the ones who got Picard to face up to the fact that he's being irrational. That would take a long-term relationship to have that conversation. Yeah. Rather than a meeting of a very short time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like Guinan would have been the perfect person in that yeah. role because she's got the history with the Borg yeah. and we know there's a connection between them two. And Whoopi Goldberg is suspicious by her absence in this film. Presumably they didn't need a bartender on the Enterprise. Oh, that was always the way. There was always the way, though, with Whoopi Goldberg, with Guinan, that she did come and go in different episodes. So she I, did, yeah. I, I'm okay with but that. I, I, but for I me... just would have liked to have seen her because of the Borg and the links to Guinan, yeah. but... I think I think the other thing is that with uh, the uh, uh, it's uh, sorry, what's the name of the character? Lily. With the Lily yeah. character, uh, from what I've heard, they basically they cut down that relationship a lot as well. There was meant to be a romance, more of a romance there. Mm. There was meant to be more development between them. But the kind of it sounds like basically the writers chicken out a bit of that storyline. And I think yeah. if they put that in more, then maybe she would have been in a better place to make that speech at the end. So it's almost like they cut what leads up to that speech, which would have made it make more sense. And uh, Nicola, I think, is Yeah, sense. I was just going to say, I don't maybe think having a relationship would have been the right way to go. 
purely because in my thoughts you're going on a spaceship you'd be very very freaked out as she was had a gun etc and to me it would take a lot of time to adjust so in the time they had to go from being you know in her head she probably thinks she's been alien abducted well she does she having says a it. relationship exactly with the captain of the alien abduction would to me would i don't know if we could get through that in that space of time yeah yeah and that would take a long it's enough. not really it's not really picard's style either to take advantage of a confused person and as Elliot pointed out, you know, she's not a redhead, so she doesn't fit his <laughs> MO. Uh, and don't... we don't know about her husband. No. Nope. We don't know, do we? So we can't, yeah. I, don't, I, I think so... the other thing is, I mean, well, yeah, I'm not saying that introducing that wouldn't cause other problems, but it does, <laughs> it does maybe, it would make more sense of why she's the one who gives that speech, is my only problem. I'm not saying no, it's, it, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I do, uh, I mean, yeah, we'll just bounce around it, but I just want to, make sure we bring in that moment where she does give the speech though and again patrick stewart giving a master class where he just gets so enraged and throws the gun at the uh at his little ships as she calls it yeah and oh it's just it's such a powerful scene he you know the usual button down the card suddenly telling wharf what's what's up you know and, and saying it's like he calling him a coward like that moment them looking eye to eye to yeah. each other that is actually a I scene I was going to yeah. pick up on yeah. later and I was just going to say that that where it's almost like Worf who would be the one that says we you know we keep going we go forth suddenly goes no we've got to you know detonate the ship essentially and yeah. with Jean-Blue Picard who would probably Jean-Blue did I say Blue Jean-Blue Picard <laughs> who would probably be the more rational went no no I'm not doing that so it's almost like a little bit of a role reversal in there for me yeah, and I love the fact that the relationship between the characters is so clearly established that Picard says this to Wolf, you know, says that about him being a coward. And when Wolf says, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand, I absolutely believe that he means that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it's the, it's the respect that he's got for Picard that comes across there that means, you know, he, he wouldn't. But And then that Picard is sort of, emotionally aware enough of himself to be able to go and apologize to Worf is a big thing as well. Yeah. I mean, what, what I love as well is you've kind of got two movies happening, but it works really well. So you've got the uh, movie happening on the ground where they're trying to keep history on track. You've got this man who's struggling with like, he was a drunkard. He was just an inventor. He, he, he's suddenly faced with the uh, awesome responsibility of what he's about to become. And at the same time, you've got this wonderful war movie. You've got this veteran, which is Picard, who's facing PTSD. Um, you've got uh, Data, who's, who's being tempted by the enemy, and his allegiances are being tempted. You've got this ultimate uh, ultimate uh, foe, which you're facing, which it's just so much happening at the same time, and it's so delicately balanced together. It's just it is, beautiful. It's, it's very well done, and I like... I like what they do with Data. I love the scene where um, he's frightened when they're going to face the Borg and he turns off his emotion chip. And the acting by Brent Spiner there is brilliant because he goes from looking scared to absolutely unemotional. And when Picard says, sometimes I envy you, you know, it, it's a, a great moment there. Actually, I'd like to tie that back slightly to... Uh, sorry, no, Nicholas waiting to say something. But just quickly, I'd like to tie that back actually to Generations only because... I think 
data and his emotions uh, handle so much better here than than in yeah. uh, generations. We didn't really touch on it in, in generations, but it's almost like they make data annoying uh as a uh plot point but he actually becomes annoying it's like he's meant to be annoying the people yeah. in the film because his emotions are malfunctioning but it just goes too far to the point where you just get sick and tired of it in generations here yeah it's yeah. balanced so well that he's being tempted over by the borg like you know know your emotions and your uh your um, mechanism you know your your mechanical side are all valid it's all good come to join us we will bring out all of that in you and the other thing as well is, in Generations, it is literally a B-plot. It has no bearing on Picard's story. It has no bearing on Soren. It, it is just there as a B-story, whereas in this, as you said, it's integrated really well. It's used to drive the main story forward, and it's used ultimately to build towards the climax of the film because Picard has to go rescue Data. And so, yeah, it's just incorporated the way it should be in this yeah. one. And it's fascinating how, on the physical aspect of data, that he gets his new skin. Yeah, and that's a good effect yeah. as well. That yeah, looks so. really good because it, it, I'm not quite sure how they did it because it's kind of, it would have had to have had his android makeup on, but then they've got to make it look like the human thing is at the same level as it. Whereas if they just did it his normal face, that would be lower than the rest of the makeup. I don't know. I, but they did a good job either way. And at the same time, you've got Alice Crutch, Crutch, Crutch. Yes. However you yeah. pronounce her surname, uh, yeah. as the Borg Queen. She is deliciously evil. She is a really well, uh, a really well told yeah. bad guy. I think she is a very good uh, foe. And the fact that to begin with, she's after tempting Picard and then, you know, her focus moves to data. It's it's just all really well done. And that wonderful entrance of her body getting her like Yeah, her, that's her, 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 her head comes down. Yeah, her head with the spinal column just like slipping around like a snake in the breeze until she gets lowered into her body. It's it's and it's beautiful. I like the way sort of that her backstory's tied into the best of both worlds and it shows that the script has a lot of respect for the audience to keep up. You know, it has a bit where he says, well, how could you have been on that cube? And she says, you know, you think terribly three-dimensionally or, you know, lines to that effect. But we don't dwell on it. it they're confident that the audience can keep up with that and sort of extrapolate from that that some timey-wimey shenanigans must have gone on or something. You know, and I like that. I like that it, it makes concessions to the fact that the audience of a film like this is intelligent and can keep up you don't always get that yeah it's actually a real shame in a way that they and a spoiler here it's a shame that they killed her off well watch voyager she she comes back <laughs> oh, actually, no, you're a voyager fan voyager you, fan. yeah sorry. voyager's your fave yeah sorry i meant for the film side of things yeah yeah um yeah. i think it's I think it's got some lovely scenes. I enjoyed the Councillor Troy and Cochrane in the bar, how she gets drunk yes. to find out who he yeah. is. I, like I think that's a beautiful laid out scene when she's hammered. I don't know if, she actually, if they actually let her get drunk to play it like that or not, but she plays like brilliant that. drunk. I like that Marina Sirtis has abandoned any pretense of doing an accent other than her own by the time we get to this film. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> It's like Jane leaves in Frasier. Like, just, just stop yeah. trying to do... Like, it's like the directors to begin with ask them to do... No, I think a British accent's more like this. It's almost like you get the feeling that 
an American on set has told them how to do a British accent or they yeah. what they want a yeah. British accent to sound like. And over time, it just morphs into their actual voice, which always sounds better. And, you know, I'm not going to go on Americans. Like, you know, obviously we're going out on American stations, so we really love Americans. Here's to Krypton Radio. Absolutely, we but, do. And uh, the programme yeah. we're talking about is Americans. So. And, and also, like, you know, it's just as bad when we do it. I'm sure it's just we're not, we don't see it as much. Oh, yeah, yet, like... For, oh, this is a deep cut now, but Vicky Fowler in EastEnders, where she came back and had the most terrible American accent you've ever heard. And then about three weeks later, she didn't have it. And one of the characters said, oh, what's happened to your accent? She went, well, I'm in England now. I thought I'd drop it. Fair enough. <laughs> Let's get rid of it. Well, I just was going to add a final, the end of the film. So Jean-Luc Picard's gone to do his bit. He's gone to rescue the ship. Um, save the day sort of thing and Data's stepped in and he's got his own agenda and I thought that was very clever the way he suddenly sort of had his thing that he was going to save the day that's what I was going to say nice and it was yeah it was a nice little sort of bait and switch there yeah. it's oh my god she's corrupted Data but no he's still a good guy twist. yeah very well done yeah I thought so and we haven't mentioned it so yeah, no, I, I, I think it's just, yeah, just a really wonderfully balanced film. So much going on, yet it doesn't feel ever rushed or pushed. You know, it, it the fact that it does leave you wanting more like the space battles is probably actually a really good thing. Yeah, that it, is a good thing. Yeah. And it's it's one that you can rewatch it numerous times. You know, it is just a good fun. There's action, there's excitement, there's really well-drawn characters. You get to hang out with your favourite characters again. It is just very, very well done. The only minor, minor issues I have with it are to do, again, with ropey CGI in the scene. Uh, the scene right at the end where they let the plasma coolant out and Picard's climbing up the things. Yeah. The the plasma looks very iffy, but, you know, what are you going to do? That's what they had to work with at the time. Yeah. It's one of those things. Yeah. No, no, great film. And uh, I also like the fact that they acknowledge the wider Star Trek universe. We get the Doctor as a call-out to Voyager and we get the Defiant as a call-out to DS9. And it's just a nice, subtle way of going, yep, there's a bigger universe out there. And yeah, it's ne- not just one ship. And Neelix undercover. Yeah, I could yeah. live without Neelix. <laughs> that, I'll let people look that up. Anyway, um, yeah, I think that's about it for that film, though. Uh, I, I just wanted to leave us enough time, though. Uh, I, I do want to play a little clip. There's a uh, interview which Nicola found, which is with um, William Shatner, where he actually talks about the first film briefly. It's this interview on Parkinson, which anyone in America, Parkinson is uh, like our chat show host, like uh, Ed Sullivan of his day over in the UK. And his day was for about 30 years. Yeah. He's so an he institution did, he, of British TV. So basically, as opposed to where in American TV where you get like a, a nightly show, he was weekly, but he was weekly yeah. for a long, long time. And he was just uh, so fantastic. And uh, if you get the time, please go over to the Retrek Facebook page where you can see the full interview. But uh, if you guys wouldn't mind, I just want to going to play in two yeah. minutes of this uh, interview just at the beginning. Did it amaze you that they, they ever thought of doing a movie about it? Well, uh, after it was cancelled on American network television in in 1970, for about six or seven years, it was uh, re-released in various independent stations in America. We call it syndication. And it played at an earlier hour and became increasingly more popular during the six or seven years uh, from until about 1976, 77. At that point, it was 
incredibly popular. It, it was, uh, at that time slot, it was beating the competition that was coming over, new, new programs coming over the network. At that point, I began to hear rumblings of the potential of making a movie. And uh, Paramount Studios was thinking about making it in, uh, in smaller terms, perhaps a small movie, perhaps a movie for television, or even perhaps another series. At one point, they came to me and asked me, if I would like to be in it. I said, show me a script. They said, we don't have a script because we don't know whether we can get this, the cast or not. So I faced that catch-22 situation. And finally, I decided if they're going to do Star Trek, and I loved doing the series as much as I did, and it was a wonderful part uh, mm. for an actor, uh, I couldn't see somebody else being a Captain Kirk other than me. So I said, yes, I'll be in it if you do it, at which point they began to, uh, it began to take shape. And it was only after the release of uh, Star Wars and its huge grosses, the huge amount of money it made for 20th Century Fox, that I think that uh, Paramount believed that they could do something. So there is a, a much longer um, clip there, but so please do check it out. It's from the BBC archive, so uh, full credit to them. I think two minutes we'll probably just get away with fair rights usage on that, and uh, we're all yeah. we're all British licensed players, so you know, the, please don't. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that's fair, fair under free. Uh, fair rights usage and it's available freely on the internet so absolutely and yeah it's a really good interview so do do go to our page the retrek facebook group check it out you can follow us on twitter at retrek pod you can even send us an email if you really want to at retrek pod at gmail.com oh god sell it and... a bit more would you oh you can send us an email if you really want to oh jeez well man. because Tease people them. want to connect with us quicker yeah, but they Twitter. want to, not if you if you feel like you could. No, come on. You really want to send us an email. You really want you to get You really do it. want to send us an email because we will read it. Yeah, basically if anyone wants to say anything that's more than 150 letters, send the email. <laughs> Cuz that's yeah. what you get on Twitter, 150 letters. Characters. Characters, sorry. Characters. <laughs> Characters. Yeah, we, we could get exclamations in there. Yeah, yeah oh yeah. Yeah. Everything. And Nicola is now our social media director. Eh? <laughs> our social media ambassador, in fact. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, it's yeah. perfect. So it's perfect. That? Oh, oh James. That's why you're the Commodore. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back next time discussing the last two Next Generation films, Insurrection and Nemesis, which I'm sure will stir up a fair bit of debates again. But for now... I'm going to say goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And thank you for joining us to Trek this week. See you on the Retrek. Mm-hmm.